Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Are you a business leader looking to take your career to the next level? Are you wondering about pursuing coaching or mentorship or advice? Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on advisors, mentors, and coaches. In it, you'll learn the differences between those three functions, exactly what it is that they do, why they're valuable, and which one might be right for you, and then how to find the best fit. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 211. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today I am speaking to a sales training, content creation, and sales enablement expert at Creator IQ, which is a platform um, that has an enterprise creator cloud managing influencer marketing in a modern, effective, data-driven way. Really cool platform. Uh, our guest has extensive experience in sales enablement and is based right here in New York City, not far from my office today. We are very glad to have you on. Welcome to the show, Kayla Lim. Thanks, Elizabeth. And yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm so excited to be here and I'm glad that we're able to have this conversation today. Me too. I think that this should be a really fun one um, for me. I always enjoy good conversations and then hopefully for our listeners as well. So Kayla, I just shared kind of the your title, um, but that is not who you are as a person. So could you introduce yourself a bit to our listeners? Maybe talk a little bit about um, where you've developed the passion for what it is that you're doing or, or the key stops on the journey to where you are today? Yeah. I, you know, I think when my, it's so funny because when my friends ask me about what I do and they don't work in sales or they don't work in SaaS, software as a service, I describe what I do as like helping maximize revenue. But the definition of sales enablement mm-hmm. is different for everyone. So the way you summed it up was, was really great. Like communicating just a high level of clarity about why the role exists and what I essentially get to do. Candidly, I think, so, you know, to the second part of your question, I can't say that sales enablement was my passion when I came into the workforce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, kind of, yeah, I kind of fell into it. Like I think, I think many sales enablement colleagues have, and you know, I, I haven't, I've yet to meet someone who is in sales enablement that came into their first job, whether they were in SaaS or not, and said, I want to be a part of the sales enablement team. Like I'm after that job. Because one, I doubt many people didn't even know it existed prior to working. And two, people don't really know what we do. The, mm-hmm. the frequently traveled path into, I think, this profession of sales enablement is you carry a bag, meaning you sell the platform and you're in the field, and then you decide to like up-level a team strategically and maybe partner with some internal teams. That's a way into sales enablement. Or... You're maybe like a sales manager and you find that you like the project aspect more than the team aspect. So you evolve into a sales enablement, taking on our initiatives. I had kind of an unusual entrance uh, into sales enablement. Like many young graduates, I you know, left university not really knowing what I wanted to do. I just that mm-hmm. I love public speaking and giving presentations. So that's what got me into the learning and development team at a company called Sprinkler. That was a social media management company. And they had a need for someone to help with their sales onboarding and training and content communications. I thought I'd be a natural fit. Um, I know I, I knew what like all employee onboarding meant, but I, Elizabeth, I had no idea about sales specific onboarding. And you know, I was curious, and I 
have to say curiosity is what sort of has been my career compass. <laughs> That's a good yeah, one. I think I followed my curiosity into a job where I think I will learn the most and then I've built my passion over time. So sales enablement looks different at every SaaS company that I've joined, and I'm grateful for, for all of it. That's kind of how I ended up to where I am today. I love that you touched on onboarding specifically, because that's something that if you understand onboarding and have, um, an under, have kind of a deep connection to how important it is. I think a lot of times that comes from maybe a poor onboarding experience that you might've had personally. Uh, and then you can enable people and empower people to be successfully onboarded. It, it is, especially in sales, I think one of the most critical functions that there is, because that's something that if you badly onboard a salesperson, it's really hard to tell, are they not successful at sales because they're not a good fit for our company or because we didn't do a good job training and onboarding them. And so then as their manager, you're going to be very hesitant to maybe fire them or discipline them um, or, you know, put them on a plan or something else. If you feel like, oh, well, we didn't necessarily do what we should have done to successfully onboard them. So, so we can't evaluate. And um, as well, it's hard to measure um, success. It's also going to ramp people up a lot more slowly. And so if you have a successful onboarding, you're kind of putting everybody at the same level in terms of their information about the company, about the processes that, that exist, about the different tools that they can use, and you're really setting them up to succeed. And then if they don't, you know that at least you did your part. And if they do, uh, that's great. And you're going to start to see revenue. So, you know, you said helping to maximize revenue. That's one of, I think that the key levers is those new hires and getting them producing as quickly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think on the business front, you know, the time to productivity is important. I think on the, you know, sales professional front, it's, it's a war for talent out there. And if we want to bring in mm -hmm. some of the best sales reps, I think you owe them a very good onboarding experience too. Like you want to make them feel like this career decision was the right decision. Here's everything we're going to do for you in terms of assets and resources to help set you up for success. And that we're here to make you successful. And often we have people who might not have been in this industry before, like influencer marketing. Maybe they came from just social media. So we help them educate on the industry, learn the ecosystem, how they're partner, and just giving them a good learning experience. It's so much from the fire hose when you come on, right? Like you're learning a lot, could be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. The on the reinforcement afterwards. Definitely. And I find that... Um, you'll see, like you said, there's that desire to make people feel valued. If you can give somebody that first day, first week experience of, we are so excited to have you here. We're supporting you. We're giving you tools and resources, the information that you need. That's the first step to creating a loyal employee who's going to really care about your company. And if you don't do that, you're going to make people feel like, you know, do you really care about me? Do you really want me to even be here? Have you even planned for me? Um, and that's a really terrible message to send. I wrote an ebook, and this was a few years ago now. We'll include a link to it in the show notes, um, but it's about onboarding. And I solicited on LinkedIn for people to share their horror stories from uh -huh. onboarding. And somebody said, literally, I got my laptop and it was, it had jam on it. Like it was sticky with, with, she could smell strawberry jam. It was like physically dirty. And it's just like, of all the things, like it wasn't even set up obviously from a software perspective, but when it's physically got 
food on it. Like, that's just not okay. That's not the message you want to send. We don't care about you at all. We're not even going to clean it. We're not even going to open it. See if there's anything on it. Seriously. Uh, and I think of just how much effort we put into onboarding people and we try to make their first day a celebration and, and their first week, making sure that you've got some time that you're doing like a team meal and going out together and getting to know them as a person and getting them flowers or a plant or having balloons. Like just there's all the, there's all the like fluffy stuff as well as the actual hard stuff of making sure, Hey, you know, your territory, you know, what scripts to use, you know, um, who we're supposed to call all of that stuff. Um, so I, I know I just kind of harped on that onboarding piece, but I think that's so important, but you mentioned, um, that your career has kind of taken a path that you weren't necessarily expecting from the start. And I think you're right. There's not a major in college called sales enablement <laughs> unless I am like massively out of touch. Right. And it's a job that, um, I know, uh, mm -hmm most of my friends and I say, like, when we talk to our parents, it's very hard to describe to your parents what it is that you do. Um, so why have you chosen, because you've now been in sales enablement at a number of different companies and um, even some some different ways of, of SaaS, but you've, you've kind of stayed in the SaaS space. But why have you stayed in that sales enablement function? What What is really driving your passion for it? Yeah, so Creator IQ is my third company where I've been in the sales enablement function. And mm -hmm. I think at every company I've joined, you like you could have pivoted. You could have gone for a new role when you're looking at job descriptions, like not taken a recruiter who wants you for sales enablement, but really looking to join a different team. Uh, sales enablement kind of just kept pulling at me, I've got to say, for probably th three reasons. First one being, to your earlier point, that you know, there isn't a major, you don't really know if you're going to go into it. And when you're in it, well, there isn't a clear roadmap of this role. And I like that part. It helps me stay open-minded and I've never felt trapped. Like I've had to stay here. And two, the sales enablement team exists to enabling one of the company's most dynamic teams, which is sales. Absolutely. Are hired. People are getting promoted. Some people are getting let go. They move on. And to be effective and efficient, is like this constant feeling of building airplanes mid-flight all the time. And it's not for everyone, uh, that, that sensation of you know coming to work and feeling that way, but it's for me and I really enjoy it, that tension that always exists there. And I, mm -hmm. you know, for the third one, sales enablement has put me in a position where I am always learning and I love to learn. I think being in sales enablement, or some companies call it revenue enablement, you touch all parts of the business. We're responsible for partnering cross-functionally with you know, sales and sales leadership, of course, but also with marketing, product marketing, professional services, customer success, the product team. And personally, I am very extroverted, so working with different people every day is important to me, and that's what kept me in this role. Never, I've never had a role where they've been the same. Every SaaS company does it different. And they've all been at different stages too. I think that's such a great point. And that really speaks to, obviously, this isn't the main topic of our conversation today. But if somebody um, is thinking about going into that field, or if one of the listeners is thinking about creating a sales enablement function within your company, um, 
that is, like you said, like those four things, I heard kind of four things that, you know, it's, it's not a very clearly defined role. It's something that is going to be unique to your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to have somebody who has that kind of high energy and, and flexibility and is able to work with a team that's, that's very dynamic, changing a lot, um, you know, having a lot of uh, turnover potentially, or, or at least, you know, some flexibility there. You need somebody who's very eager to learn, who likes to interact with a lot of people. Um, if, if, if you're hearing that and you're thinking that's me, I think you might you might think about whether sales enablement might be a path for you. But then also if you're thinking about creating that as a function that doesn't exist in your organization, really think about the, the character traits of the person um, that you're going to find, the personality traits, and really finding somebody who's going to be the right fit. And I'll say... Um, you know, in addition to, to Kayla, uh, I see that in our clients, whenever they've got somebody in sales enablement, I think those, those key factors are definitely um, important. And you have to have that person who's just kind of can dance around to a lot of different, <laughs> a lot of different things, always going to be kind of a step ahead um, on top of everything. Um, and do kind of providing a little bit of a center that things are rotating around <laughs> and, and just making sure to hold that center and hold things, um, hold things uh, to, to happen because a lot of times I, I love salespeople and I, I work with them and now have, have done that for a long time. But um, despite the fact that I love them, I can say that there are some challenges when you're working with salespeople. And one of them can sometimes be a lot of, a lot of requests, a lot of um, kind of one-offs and, um, and, and, and expectations. And you need somebody who's able to handle that and, um, and push back when appropriate and fulfill sometimes almost insane requests that, that need to get taken care of. And, um, and, and, and just managing the, the personalities is a big part of it as well. Oh yeah. The personalities is a very big part. Everyone is a character. Yes. <laughs> I've had some clients where I feel like they, they must hire their salespeople who like have backgrounds and I don't even know, like clown school or, or stand-up comedians or just like, uh, and, and it, that's not necessary either. Like, so there are, you know, you could be successful in sales as uh, a massive introvert. Um, but uh, definitely if I were to say, look at any team within a company and say, which is the one that's going to have the most characters, it's almost always going to be the sales team. <laughs> so good because people, People buy from people and having just a diverse amount of personalities in the sales team makes it inclusive, fun to go to work, and people that you can talk to on a human level. Like that whole airport test, you know, it gets passed because you'd actually want to chill with these people. Definitely. And I, I always I always love that expression because I think so often, um, and especially people in a role like, like enablement, um, a lot of times it can be tempting to focus on process to the exclusion of the fact that that we are people selling to people. And you really have to take into account personality and you have to let people be themselves and let people, you know, figure out what are the things that are absolutely necessary and deal breakers. And we're going to make sure that everybody does that. But then within that, what are the places that people are able to be themselves and to kind of color outside the lines a little bit? And how can you empower and enable people to do that um, to help them be as successful as they possibly can be, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's that you need to from a, from a management perspective, but really um, let people be themselves. And a lot of times you'll see better sales results because so often we see in sales management it can be tempting to just kind of coach and manage people to be just like you, but that's not necessarily going to be the best method for yeah. them. 
And um, and sales enablement is about enabling all the different salespeople in all their different ways. Um, but you know, it's, it's that balance between consistency and flexibility. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, I, I mentioned in the intro that our theme for the month of December is coaching. And I just touched on that a smidge. But I'd love to talk to you because I know you have a great perspective on this. Um, I want to talk about both being a coach and being coached. So let's start with with being coached, because I think that's something that everybody who's listening um, needs to think about. How can I be more receptive to coaching and how can I receive coaching? So what are some of the best practices that you've seen for somebody who's in a position to receive coaching? Yes. And that is a great question. I appreciate you so much for asking because it's not asked enough. There are so many articles about how a sales manager can be a better coach and how sales reps can find better coaches, better trainers, etc. But almost none cover like how to be a better coachee, a better mentee, a better learner. So that's, I thank you. I just appreciate the question. I'd say first and foremost, it's Mm self-awareness. Like, of course you can have someone coach you and there's a ton of value in that. Before that happens, you first can coach yourself, like assess yourself. If you're determined to be a better sales professional, you're pretty keen to your own areas of weaknesses and strengths, and you coach yourself to play to your strengths. That's my philosophy. Of course, don't let your weaknesses be so terrible that it hinders your team's success and your success, but double it down on what you're great at. Definitely. Knowing what you're great at and sharing that with your coach, like tell them, get their outside opinion, and that goes. In, and this is a perfect segue into my second best practice, which is help the coach coach you. Like try, try to meet them halfway, because they're, they're going to guide you either way with their practical knowledge and their hands-on coaching. But showing them that you've done some work, I think, encourages them to help you more, invest in you more. And people love seeing progress, especially you know metrics-driven or results-driven salespeople. So you're getting coached on. Let's take an example having better product demo meetings and you want to increase your prospect engagement on these calls. So your coach tells you kind of some best practices of what to do and you're starting to see some great results. Like be proactive and sharing those results with them. Like, you know, here at Creator IQ, we use a call recording platform called Gong and we love it. And if you're seeing that the parts where the cost the prospect is speaking are increasing, go ahead and screenshot that or, you know, tag your manager in it, tag your coach in it and show them like what success that you're having. And I think most fundamentally is that you got to be open-minded. I think mm-hmm. when it comes to more tenured reps and they've seen success in the way that they've been doing things, when landscape changes, you have to have a growth mindset about your performance and about new ways to up-level it. If you've been crush- like crushing virtual meetings by dialing in with computer audio and a coach is maybe pitching the idea of like turning on your webcam so the prospect can see your face and increased engagement that way, more active listening, try it out. Like Coaches are it, they're there to help. It's a one-team mentality. And always kind of being in that mindset as a coachee is going to help you be pushed further. Definitely. Um, I, I want to touch on just about like everything that you just said, because it's also incredibly important. So, you know, when it comes to self-awareness, that will even tell you what kind of coach to get, right? Because if, if I 
think that I just need a general sales coach, but my issue is really very specifically in communication. Maybe I should be looking for a coach who specializes in helping people with communication issues. And if I don't, then, uh, you know, the, the coach is going to be flailing around for a while trying to figure out how to help me, um, or, or they might not even be able to help me. They might not be the right fit. And so just making sure that, that you know kind of who you are, you know, um, and, and that'll even tell you, you know, would I work best with a coach who's going to be very kind of authoritative and coming in and telling me what to do? Or would I be a better fit for a coach who's going to be more kind of nurturing and warm and, and comforting? And that's okay. Either one of those is okay. Just know yourself and know which one you're looking for. Because again, if, if you're not, if you don't respond well to authority and then you get a coach who's like a drill instructor, <laughs> it's not going to work very well. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people just don't even think about the different kinds of coaches that there are, the different personalities that they might have. But coaches are people too. Yeah. I, you know, they probably don't think about it, but I'd say it's the same on the flip side. Like to, to be an amazing coach as well, you, to be effective in coaching, it has to be very tailored. I've never met two sales reps who were the same. Yes, definitely. And to really take the time to get to know somebody. Um, yeah. You know, when you mentioned being open-minded, that's something else too. I mean, especially when you're thinking again about picking the coach, you know, sometimes you you need to go outside your comfort zone. Um, And then you have to actually be open to applying what it is that they tell you to do. Because I think a lot of times people engage with coaches and really all they want is affirmation that they're doing the right thing. And I think it's easy to see an example on the technology side, right? We've all seen somebody who was dependent on old technology and unwilling to try new things. And it's easy to see how that's hampering them. And so you don't want to be that person, but it's not just technology. It's, it's what's your, you know, what, what language are you using? What's the message that you're, that you're giving? How are you, um, how are you pitching the offering? What do you think are the key, um, the key value propositions that resonate with, with people? And if you're not open to hearing that you might be wrong, that you might, um, that you might want to change that, you're going to go off on, on a lot of the wrong information. You're going to have a much lower, uh, you know, ability to, to successfully close deals because you're unwilling to, to change. And I think a lot of people, it's very easy to get stuck in a rut. That's natural kind of human behavior. And I think a lot of people really fall into it. Yeah. That's the comfort zone. It's a danger zone. Definitely. All right. So we've talked a lot about being a coachy and being a better coachy. And you've, you've said a little bit already about how to be a better coach. But I think, um, like you said, people kind of stumble into sales enablement. It's not something that they work on. Unfortunately, a lot of times, uh, leaders and managers stumble into leadership and management. Um, it's not many people that go to college majoring in sales management. A lot of times it's uh, a good salesperson gets that as a role um, or, or some other path that they've taken. So if somebody has kind of found their way into leadership and has never really been trained on how to be a coach, what's some advice that you might give them on how to be a better coach? I think building off on every person being unique, it has to be tailored. It's the only way it's going to be effective. And the only way it gets tailored like so is you're willing to put in the time up front to yes, get to know them, know their style, how they take feedback. But really, I think you leverage your EQ a ton here. 
you see how this relationship is going to build. And at the same time, I think you'll start to see that the coachee is going to open up as well. But the dedication and the investment is all up front. And also being consistent in how you're going to build this relationship upon time. Definitely. I think a lot of times you see that that managers um, or people who are in a coaching position who are not managers, and actually this happens a lot as well, there might be somebody who's assigned as a mentor to a new hire. Technically, you're kind of their coach, right? Um, or you might have kind of a, a, a small team system where you do team selling and a more senior person is in a position to coach a more junior person. It, it can be hard to realize the importance of taking that time to get to know somebody that you're coaching. And it's so tempting to just jump in. And, and again, you know, I do it this way here, you know, watch, watch and learn, um, or, or just kind of come in with a generic approach. But if you, if you really invest the time early on to get to know the person as a person, how do they learn? How do they like to receive feedback? Is this somebody who really needs that sandwich feedback of, of like good thing, critical thing, good thing? Or is this somebody who just wants me to come in straight and say, hey, you know, I noticed you did something that, that could have been better. Um, it, what are their skills? Like back to what you said in terms of the strengths to leverage. Uh, I spoke uh, back last month, we'll include a link in the show notes to Michael Moon. Um, when we were talking about gratitude, but one of the big things that he talks about is character strengths and um, understanding your strengths can be a lot more powerful than trying to work on weaknesses. Like you just said, Kayla, um, it's not like so often we, we spin ourselves up just trying to like fix something that we think is negative about ourselves. And then we're, we're dedicating all this time and effort. And it's like, why don't you just take that exact amount of time and take it to build on your existing strengths you're going to see significant results. Um, and so as a coach, do you know, do you know your people's strengths and, and their weaknesses, but um, how to leverage the different people? That's so incredibly important. I think per person, but also giving the right type of coaching in the right time because sales skills, you know, they don't add up. I think like all skills of both life and work, it, it compounds with the different yeah. Meetings they'll go into, the experiences, the hurdles, the obstacles, uh, the deals that slip. Like, you know, all of that compounds. And sometimes you have to look at a person and make the judgment call on what you know about them and where they are, their sales career, where their history is, of like, what will be the most useful for them right now? And think beyond just their sales career at that company, but really growing them into the professional they want to be. Definitely. So often we coach people. Just kind of to where they are. And if you think of being a coach, almost think, imagine that you're a teacher or a professor and you'd have a lesson plan and you're not going to be teaching the same thing on the last week of a course that you're teaching on the first week of the course. And so how can you help build somebody up both on a single track, like one specific skill that you're going to introduce some basics and work with them on um, so they get better? Or how are you going to say, okay, we're going to cover this skill now and then we're going to focus on this other skill. You know, if I've got a very new person, I'm going to focus a lot on prospecting, on building a pipeline. Um, and then we're going to talk about how do you then close opportunities and work through the selling process. And it's it can be very natural once you think about it, but if you don't think about it, you're just kind of coming in um, as a coach saying, okay, what do you want to learn today? Or, you know, this is what I'm working on now. So this is what I'm going to coach you on now. You're maybe yeah. not really addressing the needs of that person. Yep. Yep, exactly. And they try to templatize it and that's not how people work. 
Yeah. And I think a big part of that, and, and I think you can speak to this as well, is you have to really think about how many people you can effectively coach and don't sign up if you have the ability to do this. Don't sign up to be coaching more people than you can really coach, right? Because if you're going to really take the time to get to know people and customize things to them, you can't have 15 people that you're coaching and doing that with, unless that's like your full-time job. And so really thinking about... Um, how can you set appropriate expectations, have, have the right ratio of people to, to coach? Um, and this is where, as a, as a manager, you might empower some, some people on your team to function as coaches, just so that um, it's a realistic expectation for people. Absolutely. And you know, I have to say, it's probably one of the biggest challenges that you see in really hyper-growth startup to maybe like series C, series D stages where there are changes happening in sales leadership. So sometimes it is one to 15, like temporary while they look for hire or look to uplift someone. And I think where that relationship gets strengthened is like through those tough times, having, mm -hmm. empathy, having empathy both ways of like, we're in this together, we're going to get through this. Um, the hard times always build the best relationships. Yeah, I think that's why, and I know you've been at a number of startups. Um, it, I think that's why a lot of times you see startups have that that culture of we're all working together, we're all pulling in the same direction because when you're strapped for cash and when every single person is wearing like 15 different hats and, um, you know, you'll know you see the CEO like mopping the floor because somebody just needs to mop the floor, uh, that really drives that, that connection. And when you have strong relationships because you've been through hard times, that also lets you get through difficult situations where maybe you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. People are going to forgive you because they have the relationship. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I, I think, you know, when we think about coaching, what might come to mind is an athletic kind of cartoon or example. <laughs> but I, I believe coaching of just you know, learning how to do things better also comes indirectly through just being around uh, a sales leader or a tenured sales rep or someone who is working a larger segment than you or in whatever way of life that you might look up to them more you as a as a green sales rep or any level you can learn a ton through just osmosis like just being around them seeing you know how they handle conversations tough ones and easy ones uh, kind of best practices you might notice that they do and coaching kind of happens in that indirect way as well, I, I think so, of where you're just sort of taking and observing and learning and watching how they are carrying themselves or how they prepare for something or how they debrief after something. But being in such like that close-knit, I think the startup vibe definitely helps because you are closer and a lot more information is shared horizontally. So it's very open and transparent and you get visibility to so much. But Coaching doesn't always have to happen in that formal setting where like you're sitting down and having a conversation. That for sure is a staple of it. A lot of it also happens at the desks, at the tables, in meetings, shadowing, etc. Definitely. And I think that's a huge area for, for leaders to focus on is are you creating opportunities for team selling, for joint calls, for junior people to sit in and observe? Um, there's a value... And it is important to have role practice sessions with say role practice instead of role play because it should be practice. It should be intentional. But there's value in that, right? Practicing internally and, and you know, figuring out kind of what to do. But there's a lot 
more and, and different value in seeing what happens actually in the field. Because a lot of times <laughs> what you do in a role play or a role practice is not necessarily exactly how you'd be in the field. And so are you as a leader creating opportunities for that? Are you giving people time? for it. Are you setting the expectation with your senior people that they should be inviting junior mm -hmm. people and bringing them along and that their job is not to help you close the deal necessarily, although, you know, you can figure out if, if they have a role, but their primary role is to learn. Um, mm -hmm. But then are you also telling the people who are going to learn, like you don't want to sit in on a meeting and be a bump on a log. So how can you figure out what your role is? And a lot of times people think, oh no, every single one of my reps should be working their own opportunities, there's no time for them to do team selling. It's like, no, they'll all learn from each other and it'll be better. And you know what? In an individual sales call, if you've got two different sales reps who have slightly different processes, slightly different personalities, maybe the one who, who scheduled the call and was, was going to lead it isn't the best fit for the room or they're not noticing something. And then the person who's there to learn actually is able to contribute and say, um, I'm actually, you know, there's, there's, I, there's something that you might not have noticed, or, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a problem that I don't think we had, we had noticed before, but that we might be able to resolve. And they might actually take the conversation in a completely different direction. Yeah. Yeah. So just, and, and this is another way where, again, if you're, if you're that manager who has a lot of direct reports, if you have them working together on um, selling as a team and, um, and going on calls together, you're not the one who has to do that coaching. They're, they're kind of coaching each other. Yeah, totally. Definitely. All right. Um, I'd, I'd like to focus on positives, but I do think it can also be helpful to share negatives. So what are some mistakes that you see people making, either when they're coaching people or when they're being coached? Hmm. For sure, when it's being coached, the closed-mindedness gets you nowhere. That's one thing that mm -hmm. I see. They do, you know, people just want the validation. Tell me what I'm doing right. I don't want to try anything new. I'm actually very successful. I just want you to tell me. Um, Give me a gold star. Right? That's probably for the coachy. I think when it comes to being a coach and considering how fast the teams may move and all the other items going on, if it's not prioritized and it's not consistent with the person you're coaching, it can be really tough to develop. Because again, you know, these things compound, it has to be regular, it has to show that you're dedicated to so setting up 30 minute weekly sessions uh, to know that someone can be held accountable to trying something new and a week later you want follow up is the way that you see progress. I think giving some critiques out of the blue can maybe to the person come off even a little like that was unsolicited perhaps or like taken out of nowhere. They don't know, like you don't build a relationship kind of I, you know, one random quarter here, maybe like another month later there, it has to kind of be consistent and dedicated and having those time slots and regular scheduling helps that because despite all the busyness and gorgeous chaos of how fast companies move, like you're showing that this is something that's important and it's where I'm going to invest and it's where it's going to have a good return because you're going to build a successful rep and someone who's going to be happy that the company is investing him in this way and her, her in this way. Definitely. And I cannot emphasize enough that importance. If you, if you're going to give critical feedback to somebody and 
I think all of us can benefit from critical feedback on occasion. That's just, it's so incredibly important, but you need relationship to do that. You can't just come in. I just met you. Here's all the 50 things you're doing wrong. Um, First of all, they are not going to be open. There's, there's hardly anybody on the planet who's not going to be put off by that. And second, you might very well be wrong. And you don't know that because you didn't take the time to understand why they're doing what they're doing. So really investing that time early on as a coach to, to get to know the person, to kind of understand their personality, understand kind of how they work and why they, why they do what they do. Um, that's really going to <laughs> give you what you need um, to, to be their coach later. Absolutely. And it helps just have a more thoughtful, uh, compassionate relationship. You know, if you're the manager, you, you want to grow these people. Definitely. Definitely. And like you said, you know, focusing on that long term, really understanding if if you can be successful in coaching somebody, if you can really help them grow and get to the next level that will make your life a lot easier. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to see the revenue of that. They're going to um, need a different kind of coaching, but uh, usually a less intense kind of coaching later on. If, if you've, if you've really worked with somebody well um, early in their career and, and built that foundation, it, it's just, it's amazing the difference that it, that it is. And if you let somebody kind of run wild for a while and then you try to, you try to take control, it's going to be much more difficult. So um, it's, it's so incredibly foundational. Yeah. All right. Um, the question I like to ask, because I know a lot of people like to learn through reading. Um, and I know a lot of our listeners have a love of learning, which is why they are listening to this show altogether. So what are some books that you would recommend to our listeners? Uh, and they could be obviously either related specifically to coaching or just general other books that you might've found helpful. I know a book that left, I guess, a big impact on me and in my career, especially kind of comedy sales enablement was Lynchpin by Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe your audience might be more familiar with his other books like This Is Marketing or A Cow, but Lynchpin is a great book for those who are either in a path where you're not sure if this is it or you're trying to really figure out, you know, what you're meant to do with what you're good at. And he will breathe some real inspiration, practical inspiration into you. It's a great, it's a great book. I was like dog-eared and highlighted all over for me. <laughs> that's always a good sign. When somebody asks you for a book recommendation, look at your messiest book. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a good one to recommend. Yes. And as much as we move to Kindle and Audible, I still am one to pick up a hard copy book. I am a big fan too. I, I do read some things um, on my phone and, and online. And I find that, um, especially fiction, I can read usually in whatever format it appears because the story is going to bring me in regardless. But there is nothing like burying yourself in an actual physical book and being able to underline things. And I know you can highlight on an ebook and stuff, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. Yep. <laughs> I'm old school. I can't help myself. All right. That's a, that's a great one. Any other book recommendations or you don't have to, but. Lynchpin is probably my best one for that. I'd say for life, but kind of a life perspective book is the, um, it's leaving me. Hold on. Oh, when breath becomes air by Paul Kalanithi. I might be butchering his last name, but the title is when breath becomes air. All right. I will look that one up. That's not what I've heard of. Um, Um, 
and we'll we'll definitely have the correct spelling and and we'll link to the book in the show notes so people can people can find that one. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'll All right. Send that over. Thank you. All right. And then here at Let's Talk Sales, we are always focused on providing actionable best practices that people can apply to their lives kind of immediately so that people walk away with some value. So do you have an actionable tip that you'd recommend to our listeners? Again, it could be related to specifically to coaching, or it could be on the sales enablement side or anything else. (laughs) An actionable tip, you know, probably more of like a a mindset framework that... Mm -hmm. This is something I was taught at my last job and I've carried it with me and it's to be in the mindset of solving people's problems. Love that. Most people, I think most people solve problems for themselves and I've seen the most successful salespeople and sales leaders, they solve problems for other people, for their team, for their manager and for sales enablement. We solve problems by scaling the business and its revenue teams and for sales, you're solving the customer's problems. But just kind of keeping in that mindset framework has is really useful, really helpful. I absolutely love that. And like you said, it, it no matter what role you're in, if you're focused on being a problem solver for people, you're going to be successful. Like mm-hmm. you could be customer service, right? And you're solving people's actual like problems with making stuff work. You could yeah. be um, a manager and, and you're focused on solving the problems of your team that are, that are preventing them from being more successful. It, it doesn't matter what your role is. If you focus on being a problem solver, everybody around you will notice and appreciate that and you can be successful. That's wonderful. Great reminder. All right, Kayla, I have so much enjoyed our conversation today and I've learned a lot and I hope our listeners have as well. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Um, Thank you. So have I, Elizabeth. I'm so happy we got to chat. I am on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. It's Kayla, Kayla with an I, Kayla J. Lim. All right, wonderful. And I know you are a great follow on LinkedIn. So um, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today. Um, I will be linking to a couple of different eBooks and other things like that. You can find all that at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 211. Be sure to tune in next week when I will be talking to Jane Gentry. She's the CEO of Fusion Event Staffing. In the meantime, check out this Friday's inspirational episode. I believe it is Laura who will be sharing a great quote who is, um, and that's always sure to inspire you. As a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, topics, questions you want us to address, you can always reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your shows. Hey, you could recommend us to somebody that you're coaching or maybe your coach. <laughs> um, while, you're, while you're doing that, please leave us a rating or a review that gives us feedback. It lets us, us know what we're doing well, where we have room to improve, and uh, just always great. And it actually helps people find us when you do that. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!